It's a big day for our network, big day for TalkNorth.com. We haven't been talking enough about women's sports or women in sports. Uh, We also really wanted to have Dawn Mitchell on this network. Uh, And so we are very lucky to be introducing Dawn of Sports. This is our new sports show with Dawn Mitchell from Fox 9. You know who she is. Uh, And you should know by now what Talk North is. This is our our network we've been building up for a long time. This is a great boost for us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Today's show, we will have Mark Rosen on later to help us introduce the show. But welcome to Dawn Mitchell, who actually is on our network. Brandon, we're very lucky. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like we need like one of those lights where the sunrise kind of comes up. Oh, let's just say oh. it's a ne- it's a podcast. We can just say that that's happening. That's exactly. Oh, it's it. so bright in here. Yes. Yeah. No, I've been wanting to do this with you too, Jim, since we've known each other for so long. And um, not only through your writings, but knowing you as a person, just to have discussions about things, whether we agree with them or, or not. I just think that what you see when you're on a newscast and what, what you see from like me in particular, you only get a little bit and we'll, we'll have 30 seconds to maybe do a highlight or, or to tell something or, you know, minute 30 for a whole story that there's so much more. So uh, thank you for letting me have a voice. Uh, well, we're thrilled to have you. This is going to be a lot of fun. Just to set the table, uh, we're going to do a lot of different segments. We'll always talk about women in sports in some way on this show. Some, some shows it might be a lot. Some shows it might be just a, a, a segment. But we're always going to get to that. We're also going to get to all the other things that Dawn does. She covers the Vikings. She covers all the teams in town. She has a great history. Uh, she knows She's going to tell you stories about Larry Bird and George Carl. Uh, we're both going to tell you a lot of behind-the-scenes stories. That's one thing, you know, on all the other shows I do, we don't always get to that because we're always being doing such topical stuff. On this show, we're going to tell you what it's like to do a broadcast and run a broadcast, in, in Don's case, or what it's like to work on deadline or behind the scenes. We have some great stories to tell. Mark's probably going to tell some stories like that as well. Just to remind you, this is TalkNorth.com. Uh, Brandon Morton is our producer. Our sponsors on the show right now are All Energy Solar, allenergysolar.com, and Rudy Luther Toyota. If you'd like to sponsor Don's show, you can reach our sales executive, Karen Cleary, at K-C-L-E-A-R-Y, at talknorth.com. And we do appreciate everybody who sponsors these shows and everybody who listens. We can't do it without you. Uh, so let's let's just get to why you're in this business. You've been doing this for a while. Uh, you've been in different markets. You've been a... a you know, one of the most prominent people in this market. Why did you get into this business and why did you stay in this business? Because you could have done other things. Yeah, I could have done other things. And, you know, as when, when you're scraping your way through the first few years, you really think about doing yes. other things, right? Sometimes you have to just to pay your rent. But when I grew up, I, I don't know. I always played sports. I had four brothers, no sisters. My dad um, was a lot older than my mom. And he tried out for the Brooklyn Dodgers, this is a lot That's older crazy. than my mom, um, and was cut when he was a teenager. So, you know, like I had my own glove when I was a little kid. My dad oiled it, you know, put twine around it, rolled the car over it. So when his daughter- That's what who, we did in the old days, Brandon. That's right. Because when you caught it, it popped, right? Yep. And it was a Wilson glove, which is why I later named my dog Wilson, one of the reasons. But- you know, but when you're with four boys, you're the one stuck in right field, right? You know, like, yeah, she can't hit. Well, I learned to hit, but I had a pretty good arm. So my dad said, listen, when you throw that ball, you're going to learn how to throw. So just growing up that way and then playing sports my entire life, I, it didn't dawn on me, no pun intended, until I was in college at Boston College. And we had a guy from one of the local channels in town, and it was 
the philosophy of sports. <laughs> Basically, we woke up a lot of the athletes that fell asleep in that class. But I remember it was this guy, Mike Lynch, and he's talking about it. And I'm like, I could totally do that. And so I raised my hand and asked a question, you know, and I, it wasn't like, can a woman do that? But it was more of a, you know, what do you do about blah, blah, blah? And it was started a discussion. He said, you could totally do this. And I was like, huh. I did not think about being on air, though. I just thought about being in that realm. So my senior year in college, I interned at a different, not Mike's. <laughs> he saw me later and called me a traitor. But I interned at WBZ in Boston with this guy, Bob Lobel, who was like the Mark Rosen of Boston at the time. Uh, Lobby, Mark Lobel, I, Mark Lobel, I'm mixing the two of the guys, Bob Lobel. And I, um, I grew up watching Lobby. You know, you watch Bob Lobel back then, you know, you just watched it. And I loved him. And I interned for him. Uh, his assistant graduated and moved on. And when I was graduating, he says, I have a part-time job. It's only 15 hours a week, but it's yours. So I, when, before I graduated Boston College, two weeks before, I started working with him. So then I just walked to an independent station in town that had the Red Sox and the Bruins, it's TV 38 at the time. I walked in the door and asked what jobs they had. They had a receptionist job, and I had to pay student loans coming up. I paid for BC, you know. Um, so I said, all right, I answered phones at uh, that TV station, and then I started stage managing, as they call it, for their Bruins and the Red Sox. And then I would, you know, in between, I would race down and work for Lobel. So I I worked like three or four jobs. So there's a lot of young kids who be like, well, it's easy for you to say, Dawn, you're on air. And I'm like, no, 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 I did that job. Like, you know, I, I was in the broadcast booth handing the guys the car to go to break or a stat or something like that. And then I would run back and go answer phones at this station, you know. Um, I just fell into it. So the first time I was asked to be on air was at Nesson because I was working TV 38 in Nesson had the Red Sox and the Bruins. So like, Hey, we need someone to do the boothing for Nesson. So I got to know them. And one of the women, Amy Stone, she was leaving and she asked for my internship tape. She goes, Hey, she was sneaky about it. Do you have an internship tape from BZ? I'm like, yeah, from like two years ago. She was, I just want to look at it. You know, I've got some young girls that want to, you know, I think about being into it. No, she took my tape and gave it to the boss. And I got the, a phone call. Hey, we're starting this new show on the weekends. And he's talking about it vaguely. And I'm like, uh, you want me to produce it and write for it? He goes, yes. And I'm like, okay. He goes, oh, and anchor. You know, kind of like. Just anchor. Come on, on kid, Nesson. you can do it. By the way, Nesson is a huge deal. Yeah, New Boston England Sports area. Network. Yeah. So Bob Whitelaw was the man who first put me on air. God bless him. Still love that man to this day. He was like, listen, kid. You're writing everything and handing it off for everyone else to say. I want you to come in, put some makeup on, and say it yourself. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, no kidding. I haven't looked back, so. That's great. Long-winded, uh, but it was, it's, no. never, it's never an easy step. Like, I just woke up, and I, here I am. No, never. And, yeah. I, you know, I started off typing in box scores, uh, making $6 an hour with no benefits. So it, most of us of our generation who made it this far uh we had pretty humble beginnings mm -hmm. at least most of the people i know who did it uh we'll see we'll ask mark rosen about his start later all right so every week we're gonna we're gonna talk about whatever is topical uh we're also gonna go through some certain segments uh we're, we're gonna be telling you more about dawn her career her, her views on on sports journalism uh, women in sports and everything else we're also gonna have a lot of fun with this so 
This segment is going to be called Take It From Us. This is each of our favorite takes of the week. I will start off just to just to, so, to set the table. Here, here's my strange but true take. I actually think the Vikings are a good team. They're 0-2. Everybody's mad at them. Everybody thinks the season's over with already. There are already rumors that they should, or, or speculation that they should be trading Kirk Cousins. It's all crazy. They're one game out of the division lead. A lot of the deeper metrics show that they're actually probably a better team this year than they were last year. They were never going to win on Thursday night in Philadelphia, so losing that game is not that big a deal. They should have beaten Tampa Bay week one, yes. So they're one game off the ideal pace, but the division is not very good. Uh, Jefferson and Cousins are going to have huge years. Addison's going to have a big year. Hawkinson's going to have a big year. It's a passing league, and they have one of the best passing offenses. I think actually signing Dalton Risner for to start at guard, probably. We don't know yet. You know, probably for Ingram, if not for Ingram for Cleveland, that could be a major upgrade for an offensive line, which is the weakness on this team. It, listen, it's probably not going to be an easy road, but I think this team's going to. I still think they're, the team's going to win the division. I don't know if I'll go as far as them beating the Lions to win the division, okay. but I do think that they are better than people say. But I, well, I have to agree with you 100%. I am not shocked that they're having issues only game three with the offensive line. Yep. It is kind of like there's a train coming. Do you see the train coming? And then the train hits you, and you're like, wow, that train hit me. It's like we told you yep. the train was coming. Um, I know that there is a. they have to look at money. They have to pay Justin Jefferson still. Or, you know, Is Kirk going to be back? I understand that. But the teams that succeed in the NFL are the guys with the really good lines. You get the offensive line and the defensive line. Ole Udo, I was in the locker room. I saw him leaving. That's bad. He's yep. not coming back anytime soon. Yep. He left on the same crutches that I had, the nice fancy ones, the little – you know, Moby legs, but he had a huge brace on his left leg and you, you're already down. You know, Garrett Bradbury is already hurt, his back injury. Um, you know, suffice it to say, thank God Reisner's on his way. Even if he is just a warm body who hasn't paid, uh, hasn't played, he got paid, he's going to be there. At this point, you're triaging your offensive line. That concerns me. I'm not concerned with the rest of the people. I was at big question mark on the defense. Like, what's it going to look like? Well, it's kind of like, what, Christmas? Like, did mom and dad really get me what I wanted? Or am I going to get, like, that, like, off-brand, you know? Like, that's a Christmas time, right? You're always like, it's okay, but it's not the PlayStation. It's just... Um, no, I was surprised because I'd never seen that. So I'm like, gosh, the defense is there, you know? You don't hear people crying about the cornerbacks for a change. Yes, I... I agree with you. I just think the Lions are strong. I think the Lions are overrated. Huh? And, and I don't think they would have beaten the Chiefs if the Chiefs had been healthy week one. They just lost at home to a pretty good but not great Seattle team. I, I think the Lions are pretty good. I think the Vikings play the way they should. They win the division. That's that's my view. How, what's your, t your take this week? My take this week that the Vikings, you know, this is a must win. I think the Vikings are going to win. I do. I don't think it's going to be like a blowout. Um, but I think it's going to be a close. I think it's going to be a field goal. Um, but it's they're going to win. And the monkey's going to be off the back. But they ha it's a must win, but I think they'll actually come through. All right. We are moving on now to agree to disagree or just agree because we don't. Kind of like we already did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that's, no. And you know what? That's one of the reasons I started this network is I didn't. I, I got yeah. tired in traditional radio of all these staged Fights. arguments. Oh, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. 
if we agree, great. If we don't agree, that's great too. But we're not going to stage anything. Uh, let's let's run through a few quick hit topics here. All right. All right. Justin Jefferson is going to break the all-time receiving record this season. Yes or no? Mm, for yards? Yes. <sighs> yes. I agree with you. I yes. think he's on pace. The only th- I think the only thing that keeps him from doing it is an injury because I think they've already shown they know how to scheme him open even when against defenses that are are going up against them. And I just think he's that good. And I think Cousins is online to get him the ball as much as he needs to get it. All right, number two. Yes. The Gophers football team is going kind of nowhere. Agree. Yeah. I don't. Think Sorry, they, PJ. I know. I just don't think they can throw the ball well enough. I actually like Taylor a lot. You know they're going to be able to run the ball a certain amount, but I just think the passing game was going to have to advance this year for them to be good, and I just don't know if I see it. Yeah, this last game, and you knew that going up against yeah. number twenty team in the nation, right? You knew that it wasn't going to be pretty, but I don't know. No, I, I'm agreeing with you on that one. Number three, the Lynx have overachieved or just achieved? I think they've overachieved for this year, um, especially how they started. Yeah, oh and seven, oh and eight, or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way they started, I do think that. But I'm happy because that's something to build on in this playoff series. Because as of this taping, uh, tomorrow is Game Three, and they're going up against the Sun. I think they're going to beat them. I don't know if they're built for the long run in this year, but so I think they have overachieved. But I still think that they have got more to do. I think they've already overachieved. I, I thought this is like an eighth or ninth place team in terms of talent entering the season. I really just, and then they started off badly. Uh, and, and they've actually, you know, for them to get to the sixth seed to me is overachieving. For them to beat the Sun on the road in a playoff game is overachieving. So I think they've already overachieved no matter what happens. We're recording this on Tuesday. The next Lynx game is Wednesday night, of course. I uh, kind of hope they win because that'd be fun to, to cover them during an actual long postseason for the first time in a long time. Uh, last one on agree to disagree or just agree. Royce Lewis is by far the Twins' best player. Ooh, now that Carlos Correa is hurt again, yeah. I don't know. He wasn't the best anyway. Right. I'm going to go with yes. I think he is. I think it's clear he's their this best hitter. This is agreed hitter. to agree. We're in agree to agree. That. He's their best hitter. Yes. He's by far their best hitter. He's uh-huh. their by far their best clutch hitter uh, in the since they got since he's come up. He's been their best power hitter. Yes. Uh, he's a good fielder. He's a good base runner. I just don't think – I don't know even know who's number two at the point. Yeah, he's point. solid all around. Yeah, he really is. You know, and not – I know Carlos, but he has injured with that, what, plantar's fasciitis is yep. what he has. But let's take that aside. Maybe he's had it all year. He hasn't – he's hitting like 230. It's kind of been such a down year for him. But when you look at the other guys on the team, you just have to like, wow, who knew that this would happen? You know, I, I, I just, I love to see what Royce Lewis has done. And, and on top of it, he's the nicest guy in the world. He's the best. He really is. He's one of the most polite, engaging young athletes I've ever been around. I think somebody told me once, one of the hotter games, now don't quote me, but it was someone that was there. He was buying snacks and refreshments for the fans in the stands. Crazy. He's that kind of guy. He really is. Love it. So I love, yeah. So I'm going to say yes, even if like he's whiffs the whole game next game. Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. We, now we're going to do our women in sports segment um, for this week. Yes. Uh, let's, let's talk about the links because, you know, I wondered going into the season, whether this is a good year to tank. I didn't think they were going to be good. You have Beckers and Caitlin Clark on the horizon. We don't know exactly when they're going to delay for the draft, but 
course, if the Lynx got either one of those players, it would be great for them, not only in terms of basketball, but in terms of, of bringing people in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, both would bring in a lot of fans. And they start 0-6, and that they refuse to tank, and now they make the playoffs. They win a playoff game. To me, again, the season's a success. But it is, it is fascinating. And I really think it comes down to the fact that even if tanking, even if you could sell Cheryl Reeve on the idea of tanking as a as the right strategic move, I just don't think she could stomach it. No. she. I don't think she could stomach chasing fans away, damaging their economic profile, damaging their standing in the league. I just don't think she has it in her to tank, even if you could say it's a, the right thing to uh, do. And e even integrity-wise, I don't exactly. think she's not built that way, I think right? that's exactly like, right. No. I do think it's about, and I really do think it's about integrity because yeah. you really are selling out your, your whole, your program and your league when you tank. Right. Well, let me tell you one thing that's off the court that I love about Cheryl Reeve this year. Her t-shirt game is by it's far fantastic. the best I have ever seen in my life. Like she should start a line. I would buy them all. She should. Every single one. So I'm thinking like, hey, I, I'm waiting for this home playoff game. Yep. She's going to come out, I, like take the blazer off, pretend you're mad and throw it around again. I want to see that t-shirt full on first, put the blazer back on because she's been amazing. But when it comes to the actual team, what I really love, and she she gets credit, but I don't think she gets enough, is K-Mac. Uh, you know, McBride is amazing. They sign her. She's gritty. She's exactly what this team needs. You know, you have Diamond Miller, you've got Nafisa Collier, but you need someone who's going to get down and dirty and gritty in there. And you also, and I just adore her. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't care what people say, but when you get, I'm just going to call her Ms. Gopher. You know who she is. She's dropping bombs from three point land. The, uh, a woman that never, um, was given cr enough credit, I think, to make the WNBA. And uh, we're talking about Rachel Bannum, if you haven't figured it out. But Rachel, you know, she even left, was coaching the Gophers, and then came back to the w WNBA and does well. She is the core of that chemistry on that team. You know, so I always say if there's an unsung hero, you know, you you look behind the scenes, that's I love and live for behind the scenes. She is always there like showing her braids or they're dancing or, you know, like what fit someone's wearing. And, you know, whenever there's somebody celebrating something, it's Bantam in the middle of it. Um, you know, they're singing songs like a soccer team to come out before they hit the court. You know, that I think that's just that chemistry alone maybe that has taken this talent and maybe made it supersede what it should or could have been. And I think you hit on two really key players because obviously Collier's their star and Diamond Miller's their, they hope their rising star. McBride, when they signed her as a free agent, I think they thought they would get more out of her early in her time here. Mm -hmm. And she would have a big game. She'd hit a big shot, but it was always up and down, you know? And this year she has surged and she was a lot of times the best player on the court in their playoff win at Connecticut. I don't know that I saw that coming. And you're right. It's it's a combination of shooting ability, which you have to have, but also the the toughness to take the tough de defensive assignment to get the loose ball to chase down the offensive rebound. And she's a strong player. Uh, she's been a she. They couldn't do it. They would not have gotten this far without her. And Rachel Bannum, she's one of the best people mm -hmm. in in the marketplace. Right. Uh, she's a blast. She's a lot of fun. She's a sweetheart. And she also comes off the bench and makes long three pointers. Yeah. And there's just there's no substitute for that. Yeah, you need all of the above. Yeah. What did you What do you think of the new uh, women's hockey league? You know, I'm excited for that, but I'm baffled by it. In the same token, you know, um, 
because the last one they had already expanded their salary cap, you know. So I thought that was taking off, and then all of a sudden you hear rumblings that there's going to be another one. So I'm just hoping for the sake of women's hockey um, that it's organized and it succeeds because the talent is out there and they've shown that people want to go see it. Um, just just kind of level it off, pay the women, you know, so they don't have to do 12 other things, work for three other jobs, you know, pay them enough. All right. Okay. So they're not going to be making millions of dollars like the NHL. Um, but maybe, maybe someday, why not? You don't know, build it and they will come. Right. Well, and this one feels bigger and and a big part of starting a new league and having success in a new league is, is playing the part, Mm -hmm. looking the part. They had Billie Jean King at their opening uh, draft. You know, they have some big celebrities signed on. They have great players. It feels bigger and better formed. And I, I liked the last league, but it always felt like, it was a struggle, and I don't. I, I admire the people who did the work and got that league that far. But part of this is optics. Part of it is looking big enough and polished enough that you can attract networks and advertisers. And I, it just feels like this league has a better chance, even though I really admire what the last league did. And if they do it exactly in cities, which they are, where there's already an established NHL team, and do that, um, that's really going because you already have a fan base. You know, and you also have colleges that are producing these women that have have been playing. So you're already like, oh, I want to see where she goes. Well, if you can get that local favorite or someone from the Olympic team on your team and get people in there, sure, people are going to show up and do it. Uh, But yes, make it look big. Don't make it look like, you know. Don't make it look like JV high school competition. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Oh, and here's the, the, I think the worst thing. That happened. First of all, I can't even remember the order of the letters of the last one. P W H L H L, I believe. And it's I'm embarrassed to not know that because I know I've written P W H L. Yeah, Professional P- Women's uh, Hockey League. Okay, that's the last one. Yes, I. There's, there's so many consonants in my life. Throw me a vowel. Like I'm like, was it a P before the W? You know, like WNBA. You know what it is, right? You know. Oh, I'm sorry. PWHL is the new one. See, that makes sense. The last one did not. The last one, I'm absolutely blank on it. Yeah, Uh, if we can find that. I was always like, I don't, I, I can't even remember it. And I do sports. I'm like the, the one that's not the P. PHL, Premier Hockey Federation, PHF, Premier Hockey Federation. Yeah, it just, there was so many incarnations that I got lost. And you know what? Like, where are we at this point? I went through this. Brandon knows I went through this when I started this network. I tried different names, and you have to find a name that people immediately recognize. Should have been WNHL. That's what it should have been. Yes, yes, it should have been. And I'm sure they had some some copywriting problems or whatever. But but you're right. It should have been. It should have been. Because people would have remembered that. Yeah. Uh, We will get, we will talk about the Minnesota Aurora in the future. We will have our friend Andre Yak on as a guest. Uh, Don does broadcasts you know, and, and does some work with the Aurora. We're going to save a good hefty segment on them for a future show. Uh, for this edition of Women in Sports, let's just congratulate Mara Braun for uh, winning the three on, the international three-on-three competition yes. with Team USA. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching her play for the Gophers this year. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited. Uh, Whenever you can get excited before someone comes into the college realm, yeah. that's always big. But then it's people like you and me, like, yeah, well, I covered her when she was in high school. Yeah. Next, you know, like, you know, she's in some Hall of Fame, <clears throat> Lindsay Whalen, you know. It's going to happen. 
I really think Mar- Mara's the next great player over there, and that's going to be fun to watch. What do you like most about her? Uh, Mara? Yeah. Uh, I don't just She's like so many young athletes, especially young women athletes. She's just so composed. And it's not, it's not a college athlete's job to be like a good interview or to be polished in all situations. So if someone isn't, that's not a negative. But it's just so impressive how many college women basketball players I've been around, college athletes, uh, they just handle everything so well. And I think they've just, they grew up playing in national tournaments. They grew up playing traveling. They grew up playing against great competition. They've been watching ESPN all their lives. So they get the the interview uh, realm and how it goes. And she's just one of those people who you just feel like she can handle all of this. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to what Don Plitzwhite can do with her. Yeah. Um, and it, you brought up exactly, you took the words from my brain and put them into your words. Because when you see her play on the court, she's ice. Yeah. Right. Like, and I mean like smooth, like that clear ice that you can't wait to get on, like in the winter. I, that's how she plays. Not like ice in her veins. She has that too, but it's just, it's just that it's perfect. And when you interview someone like that and they remain calm and they remain, but that strong calm, that's what I see from her. And that, so I'm like in that, un, and underneath lies the soul of a killer. On the court. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's that kind of play. So I'm looking forward to her just kind of taking off. So couple more segments left. We're going to talk with Mark Rosen. Do want to let you know that all energy solar panel installations are done right and made easy thanks to more than 14 years of experience in Minnesota and beyond. Visit allenergysolar.com slash coach today to find your free solar evaluation. Also want to let you know that all energy solar is ready to take any solar project from design to installation, everything in between for your home or business. Again, allenergysolar.com slash coach, or just go to allenergysolar.com and check out everything you need to know about solar energy. Thanks also to longtime sponsor, Rudy Luther Toyota. Ready for a women forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. 10 cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. As promised, our special guest for the first edition of Dawn of Sports is Mark Rosen. He needs no introduction, so I won't introduce him. Uh, you know who he is. Uh, we, we're, we brought in Mark for the last couple of segments, and then we're just going to have a nice little chat at the end. But we're, we're going to do a segment with Mark here and Don. Uh, and this segment is called What They Don't Tell You. Oh, boy. And this is our segment about what happens behind the scenes, sometimes behind the scenes at our offices or on location, sometimes in clubhouse and locker rooms. Uh, and I have one that I'm going to start off with. That'll let you guys sit there and take the pressure off of you. Okay? I like you can, that. This will give you time to okay. think of your own. So, so this is this is the kind of story we are going to be telling you in the future. So, I come up here to cover the Vikings in 1990, and my first couple of years on the beat, during the middle of a bad season, the Vikings put a claim in on Chris Carter. Mm. Chris caught a lot of touchdowns for the Eagles, but he had a lot of off the field problems. He had addictions. They finally got tired of him. They cut him. The Vikings are in the middle of a bad season. They have, a, uh, they put a waiver claim in, they bring in Chris Carter at the end of the season. Chris comes in and he was kind of ad, as advertised at first, very talented, but kind of undisciplined. 
Then he realizes that this is a chance to get his life right. So next training camp, I'm, I'm watching him, and this guy's catching everything. He looks fantastic, he's, and he's engaging. He looks into it. You know, it, it looked like a different human being than the one we first met last year. So back those days, back when access was a little more free-flowing than it right. is these days, I'm down in Gage Hall. I'm staying in Gage <laughs> Hall in Mankato during recovering training. Oh, you camp. poor thing. And and one of the things we did was I would just go down to the lobby and just wait for people to walk by. And mm-hmm. I'd sit there and talk to Tony Dungy for half an hour and Monty Kiffin for half an hour. And Bernsey would come by and cuss at me. Obviously, and, he wasn't on TV. And he was, did no. not have deadlines. Exactly. Well, I had deadlines, <laughs> but th- during lunch hour, that's when I caught most of these people. Sure. So anyway, one day I see Chris Carter walking by. And he was known to be pretty surly. So, mm-hmm. Chris. You know, I call him over. He said, "He said what?" I said, uh, "I want to tell your story. Can we sit down and talk?" He said, "He he thinks about it." He goes, "All right, I'm going to tell you my story, and if you do right by me, we're going to be good. And if you don't do right by me, I'm going to punch you in the eye." Wow! And I said, "And I I said he went straight to violence." Yeah, I went okay. So so like the next day we sit down and he tells me his whole story. I write it, and of course you never really know. As a writer, sometimes you write something you think is positive and people get mad. Sometimes you write something not tough and they think it's fair. You, know, you never really know what the reaction mm-hmm. is going to be. So I had no idea. I thought he might just walk up and punch me the next day. He comes up to me the next day. He says, all right, we're good. And actually, he was fantastic with me up mm-hmm. until until I w- left and covered baseball and lost touch with him. For a couple of years there, he was fantastic with me. So that was kind of the way it went back then where there was no PR person involved you were either going to get along or somebody or not, and there was no intermediary whether it went well or not. So that's my story. Dawn, do you have one lined up? You know, I do. So, and I, there's one I was going to tell from the college hockey world, but I'm going to stick with the Vikings. Right. And this is when Randy Moss was with the team. So I came in 2004. And so I'm new. So this was before he left the team and came back. So he was there. And so you go into a locker room and you're you're trying to figure out what the dynamic is, right? Because I was coming from Chicago and, you know, the Bears ran things a little differently. So we're in the locker room and nobody is going over to Randy Moss. Like nobody. And so I want to know, if, is there a kangaroo court or something going on here? You know, because when I was covering the Packers before the Bears, Brett Favre talked on Wednesdays. You did not talk to him in the locker room. Uh, you could say, hey, when talk about your food, you know, but mm-hmm. he did not want to be interviewed. So I wanted to know what the deal was. And so I, I asked, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, Dark, uh, Dark Star or some, it was somebody, right? I said, I don't, I don't know. Is there a kangaroo court? What's going on here? And he goes, well, what, what do you mean? I go, nobody's talking to Randy Moss. They go, he's a jerk. I go, what? He's Randy Moss. I don't care. Like, my boss would love if I got him. So they go, well, you can. Go ahead. I go, but I'm not going to get in trouble. Like, I'm not stepping on any invisible line or something like that. Like, no, 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 no. So I'm like, okay. So I go up to him. His back is to me. He's at his locker. And I said, excuse me, Randy, may may I ask you a couple of questions? He didn't even turn around. He went, hell no. Right. And I started laughing. Right. And and I turn around and I go, okay, thank you very much. And I'm walking away. He goes, Hey, why are you thinking me? I said, hell no. And I said, and I'm laughing. I said, well, my job is to ask you, you don't have to talk to me. Right. And, and I'm smiling. And I said, so thank you. He's like, and you're thanking me. And I said, yeah. And I walk away and he goes, Hey, new girl. I go, yeah. He goes, I like you. (laughs) So I went from new girl to ma'am later right because right. and then he was traded 
So that's the relationships that you establish, right? Because someone goes, well, I go, he's a jerk, see? I go, but he's not mad at me. Like, he doesn't know me. I don't care. I'm not upset that he said no. I thought it was funny. Maybe that's the Boston in me. I don't know. Hell no. I, thought that, I thought that was, I was we've not been, offended. We, we Midwesterners, we get upset. Yeah, you might have been things. upset. I thought it was funny. So then he gets traded, right? So my boss sends me to cover him at the Raiders. And so I'm there with Shelly Smith. And she's like, hey, you're, you're in Minnesota. You ask the question. I go, all right, all right. Well, I don't know. I'm new girl. He doesn't know me. And she goes, just so I asked a question and I asked him about, you know, how hard it is to leave Minnesota. And he starts go like gives the best answer about it. it's a divorce and da, 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 right. And she's stepping on my foot going, ask another. So I ask another. So at the end it's all right. And then he comes back. Right. And then we're in New England the the fateful thing oh yeah so everyone we're after the game and we're all around his locker mm -hmm. and everyone's waiting and he's ignoring everyone and so finally some of the beer i was like forget this i got a deadline right so i'm still standing there and his back is to me and i go excuse me randy <laughs> and, and he doesn't even turn around i go are you gonna answer questions and he looks around make sure no one else is there and he looks at me he goes i'm going to the podium <laughs> and i said what he goes i'm going to the podium and you don't want to miss it. And he leaves and I turn around and I don't know if it was Jeff Anderson or who from the PR staff, but I turn around and I go, he's going to the podium. He goes, no, 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 he's not going to the podium. I go, oh no, I'm not asking. He told me he's going to the podium. And I, oh no. Yeah. And so we all run in there. Full circle, right before he, he comes in and, you know, he's being honored to go into the, you know, I used to call it the Ring of Fire when I first mm -hmm. got here. I learned it's, it's, you know, the Ring of Honor and, and all this stuff. Right, it was the Ring of Fire. All right. And so he let, of course, Sid ask the first question. You know, go, Sid, ask the first question. And then after, after that, he goes, okay. He goes, uh, next, ma'am? And I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm not new girl. I have made it. So... That's, you know, you just have to establish yourself. Like, I wasn't offended, and he thought that was funny, and I thought he was funny. He was uh, the most schizophrenic player probably I've ever been around. I mean, I, I remember in 98 when he came here, he was uh, really distrustful of, of most adults, period. We could see that in his documentary. So he, he would do the obligatory interview at training camp in 98, and, of course, that's when he blew up and had – you know, the, the rookie season to remember. And Jim, speaking of, of, of Chris Carter, I had established a relationship with him. And as you know, you guys know, a lot of athletes are really superstitious. So Chris would make a habit starting actually with the first game, even though Moss had the big game, they, they opened up here against Tampa Bay, where we were allowed on the field, uh, we'd go, be, go down on the field for the last two minutes, and then we could interview the players as they were walking off the field. Yes. I interviewed Chris when he was walking off the field and since they, they won that game. And then, then the next week in St. Louis, they won that game. I did the same thing. So he would make a habit out of making sure that I would be the only one that could interview him on the field as we were walking off. It would never be a stop and chat, as Larry David would say. Right. It would be a walk and chat. Walk and talk, right? But right. he would do it every single time. And it, and it worked like a charm. Um, of course, fast forward to the year 2000, which eventually ended with the 41 donut game. I remember being in New York and his agent said to me, you tell all the Viking fans they're going to have a really big night tonight. I mean, this is going to be something to celebrate. And I had Carter all lined up. Well, they, I left at halftime because I had to catch an <laughs> early flight. But, uh, but Moss was, I mean, Moss, as you guys know, Moss would either be 
the most electric interview you could possibly be around where he would look you right in the eye and, and, and we, all of us would be crowded around his locker. He rarely, if ever, did the news conference in the adjacent room at the Metrodome. But he would sit and talk to you. Otherwise, he would just say, get out of my locker. It would just be depending on his mood of the day. But, uh, man, it was he was dynamic when he wanted to be. He was really good when he wanted to be mm-hmm. uh, for, for lots of reasons. Well, he yeah. was very smart. Yes, he was. And he was he had reason to not trust people. Yeah. Um, and you know, I did a piece on him after they drafted him. I went and spent time in West Virginia with some of his people. Uh, went to see the so-called house where he grew up, which right. is not much of a house uh, right. in a very depressed, impoverished area. I'm not sure I would have trusted many people if I'd grown up like that either. Yeah. You know? And and I remember, you know, talking to the Vikings. He didn't like doing interviews. He and I think it was as much. It what it what some some athletes don't do inter- interviews because they they're just jerks. Right. You know, not not a large percentage, but some. Uh, I think Randy just wanted to control situations. And I remember asking, telling the Vikings, hey, I'm doing this major story on Randy. I've talked to everybody you ever played college football with. I've been to West Virginia. I've talked to his college coach. I've talked to people at Florida State. I said, it, it would look silly if I run this story and Randy didn't talk. They And the Vikings were good to deal with. And they said, okay, we'll get him for you. We don't know when we can get him, but just be on your toes. So they call me on and say, hey. He'll talk. He'll talk right now outside the locker room. You need to rush mm-hmm. out here. So I rush out to Winter Park. I go down and talk to him, and he gave me an incredible interview. But in that interview, and, and like I remember ha- having talked to his agents, and they were all like, hey, Randy's the pride of West Virginia, and he's there, what we're all about. Randy ripped the entire state of West Virginia in that interview. Wow. And it was like, you know, he was not giving them credit for his upbringing. Right. He was right. saying that was a, not a good place. He overcame for it. Yes. Yeah. And it, I know a lot of people in West Virginia were absolutely crushed, but he was smart. And he was brutally honest. And mm-hmm. you had to be, if you wanted to talk to him, you had to be ready for both those things. Yeah, I don't know if any of you thought he'd end up being such a prominent role in the media, especially no. the NFL. I never thought I so. Did not. And, and it's interesting because as time went on, obviously, as you mentioned, Sid was always his favorite. And I think he just felt like he was kind of a, a father figure to him. But um, he was always great. And I, he was always, always wanting to, maybe because I was a familiar face, mm. but he would always made time to talk and was fantastic leading up to his uh hall of fame uh coronation basically here during the super bowl week i also think if you found the time to show up for the things that he did his charity work because Correct. he he did a lot that he never gets enough credit for but he didn't right? want a lot of credit i mean he, I mean, he didn't want the publicity for no, a lot but of it. if you showed up like his fishing oh. right like yeah Correct. even he, he was smart about who was there he and would then, remember he had a whole bunch of kids once at U.S. Bank Stadium, too, and, and um, was doing some stuff for them. And I remember I was, I think, one of the only two. It was my, me and Dave Schwartz. I think it was Dave Schwartz. Um, were there, and he noticed. Like, as he looked around mm-hmm. to see, like, who's here, like, four hours before right, the game. Right, Because um, I don't think these athletes get enough credit for a lot of the work that they do. You know, they spend so much time getting ready, playing games with their family, but what they do for charity. And he does it because he loves it and he wants kids to survive and thrive like he did. Like it's more than just showing up and putting his name on it. I think it's a personal thing. For Remember, me. he always used to hand the football down at one end of the end zone. Yes. Scored a touchdown. Uh, he'd hand it to some kid either in a wheelchair or whatever. He would recognize that and would never forget to do that. Hand him the football. I still remember... Uh, Going back to the locker room scenes, one of my colleagues walked up to him one day. It was like 98, and Randy's having the, the year of all rookie years. And my colleague just kind of cold walks up to him and goes, 
hey, hey, uh, what's your dog's name? Because he had seen his dog, him with his dog. And Randy looks at me and goes, Nanya. And he goes, <laughs> Nanya? What kind of name is that? He said, None of your business. <laughs> that's the best. That was quite a that was quite a cast of characters they had. Oh I, I mean, that's funny. See? I, that's funny. Honestly, that '98 team. It, it's a shame that they didn't win that NFC title game, and a shame that they didn't stay healthy in that NFC title game so they mm-hmm. could win it and go on to win the Super Bowl because that was the best team in the NFL that year. Right. And the characters and the talent, Carter and Moss on the same team. Um, you know. I mean, Randall Cunningham having his best year, Robert Smith, uh, Leroy Horde, David mm-hmm. Palmer, Robert Griffith, Ed McDaniel, John Randall. Um, oh, I did my Sunday night Lord. shows with those two guys every Sunday night, and it was must-see TV because they'd give me the silent treatment half the time, but it was it was something that I um, – they were. They were not only a bunch of characters – but the best team, and that that's the one that crushed – I mean, I physically felt ill after that game. But you're right, Jim. They had uh, – Randall got hurt in the uh, the previous game against Arizona. He was playing on one leg against Atlanta, and their defense was beaten up. I still think it would – you know, the Denver game, the Super Bowl probably would have been 38-35 or something. But that was they were the best team in the NFL that year, you no know, doubt. And I left out Randall McDaniel, who, who I always say on our football shows on this network – what I do with Jeff Diamond. Randall right. McDaniel is as good a football player as I've ever seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not the most important position. The most you dominant. Can't, can't back it up with stats, but in terms no. of winning his position every play, Monster. he's as good as anybody I've ever yeah. seen. I agree. You know, you talked about, Rosie, about being just so crushed about it, you know, because people always just assume that you're going to be a fan. But you know these guys and you appreciate talent. But as a young girl growing up in New England, people would be like, how do you know so much about some of the teams? You didn't get here till 2004. And I said, my mother loved the Vikings. My mom, you did not talk to her when football was on in the house. My dad <laughs> played it and he couldn't, you know, he was more of a baseball guy. My mom. And so I remember thinking, mom, I go, uh, the, it's the Patriots and the Vikings. I said, why the Vikings? You know, I'm trying to think family, family connection. And she's like, and, and she called me Dawn Marie when she was serious or and I was in trouble. So <laughs> I, and I still shudder to this day. My friends know not to call me my, by my middle name, but she looked at me, she goes, Dawn Marie, I love myself a good underdog. <laughs> and she's like, I love the Vikings. And she was so crushed. She was so yeah. crushed. So I was like, wow. And so she was beaming when uh, I'm like, Mom, I'm covering the Vikings. She's like, what? <laughs> I'll yeah. also say, you know, we're, we're all somewhat of the same generation. When we grew up watching the NFL, when you got to watch an NFL game, it was a big deal because they weren't all on TV. No. And the branding was brilliant. I mean, you, you immediately identified with the horn on the Vikings helmet or the weather in Minnesota mm-hmm. or the star in Dallas or, or the, the frozen the Patriot tundra, logo. I mean, or Lambeau the Packers. It, it you know, it became the big world's biggest sport or the North America's biggest sport for a reason. It was so easy to identify with these teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bud, on, in all of the videos we see now of Bud talking, he talks about how important it was to be a Viking and, and what that lore meant. I mean, you, and Mark, you, you emceed the uh, Bud ceremony it was so well done i mean what was that like for you to be up there talking about bud grant surreal i mean i um you know i uh, i grew up listening to my parents talk about watching bud grant at the university of minnesota and then uh even though he didn't play on a regular basis for the minneapolis lakers they'd go to all the laker games and george mikan was there my mom my mom had a huge crush on bud um for the longest time he was a handsome guy oh yeah 
And so when, when I finally, you know, when I got around to being part of the media and you know, my dad, you know, of course was, you know, what took me to games when I was a kid and, and, uh, inti- being intimidated by Bud as a lot of people were, cause he'd never call you by, by your first name for the longest time. And, and, and finally when he did, it was like, God, he, he said, Mark, me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, and then fast forward to, you know, earning his trust and, 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 as you say, Don, just being there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I could cover all the, you know, the training camps where he you know, took a liking to me. He told me to get a haircut a couple of times. He explained how the Monarch butterfly down in Mankato would be flying to Mexico. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but <laughs> I thought it's going to St. Peter or something, but, and then, you know, fast forward to obviously, you know, having this relationship with him, um, being in, being in Canton when he got inducted in the hall of fame, when Sid introduced him and, he was crying, talking about his dad, and that showing that emotion, which no one ever expected to see out of Bud Grant, and then uh, having this, you know, kind of post-retirement. I remember being down in New Orleans. I'm talking about crushing games, the 2009 championship game. He was the honorary captain, mm. and I'll never forget. I mean, the look on his face. We went, you know, I had to go down the locker room and interview. Here's Adrian Peterson standing with his hands on his hips mm-hmm. after losing that overtime game to the Saints. And Bud's down there, and he he's looked. He just looked at me, and he did that thing where he just kind of went. Turnovers will kill you every time, uh, and that's all he said. Mm. And it was like I felt so bad for him because this this was he he was literally there mm-hmm. as an honorary captain for the you know, and and that would have been his moment to say, hey, the team's going back to the Super Bowl, even though it was Favre and the whole nine yards. But uh, it was surreal because uh, these were bigger than life. You know, personalities and and uh, for Bud and and being around um, Alan Page, Jim Marshall, who may be my favorite human being of all time, and Carl Eller and all these guys and 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 because they didn't have free agency, so the same team would be there every year and year after year after year. And the way that Bud kind of held his uh, held his ground, it was, it was just fascinating watching him work the media and work people around him. He was always in control. I don't think he ever said anything that he regretted. Like, oh, man, I put my foot in my mouth over that. Because he would pause and then answer it. Or reporters would come in after a game, and they put tape recorders in front of his face. He goes, I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Put the tape recorders down. And so then he'd talk to the, the Ralph Reeves of the world or Sid or whomever. Although Sid had his tape recorder all the time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just it was just interesting watching him work the media and work people around him, but uh, just surreal because I learned so much about common sense from him more than any other person in my life. Honestly, he was just wise about a lot of things. And I still carry my daughter to much, much chagrin still knows. I, she rolls her eyes when I say, you know, don't worry about things you can't control. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and stuff I learned from bud, but it's true. I mean, it still sticks with me to this day. So, it was pretty surreal uh, for, for someone who grew up in the Twin Cities to be able to be a big part of, of, uh, of his day and even for the opening game when they had uh, all the players, you know, uh, coming back with the Super Bowl team come back and, and what took place with that. And, uh, man, it was – it's kind of sad too. I mean, it's, it's hard to see these guys <clears throat> and the, 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 uh, the ravages of the game taking a toll on them. Obviously, they've lost a bunch of them even further uh, past generation, you know, with Matt Blair and Fred McNeil and uh, Wally Hilgenberg, a lot of guys I was really close with, but even seeing what it's the toll it's taken now on 
on Jim Marshall and Alan Page and Carl Eller in particular. I mean, age does that, but it's more than that. It's the game too. It's the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's 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 filtering down to the next generation now too that we're seeing. So there's a sadness that's involved, but also um, mad respect for people that I've you know that I admired so much. When you talk about mad respect, um, one thing I really loved from that ceremony, and one thing that stuck out to me, is Bud always said that his family was more important, and time with his family is more important than the game. At a time when that was not cool to say, no. really, right? Because they're trying, like you said, trying to build up the NFL. And I just thought, wow, what a f- cool full circle moment right now because I think now in our lifetime we're getting back around to put your phone down spend quality time with people you know family matters that for Bud he didn't care who was on that ship with him or not he was sailing that like uh, I don't even care about that I'm like it's one of the reasons why he couldn't stand Lombardi Hmm. and and when he got Jerry Burns out of there he couldn't stand Lombardi not because he didn't think he was a good football coach but because he slept in his office basically he wouldn't put family first or even close to second or third and he talked about it openly. He goes, I don't, I don't care. I mean, it's my family was more important. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'd hear it. I, I, I was doing the Bud Grant show. I, he'd come in on a Sunday night, and I, maybe after a tough loss, and I'd see him on the phone, and I thought maybe he's talking to you know one of his coaches saying, look, we can't do this, this again, this again, that again, whatever. And I overhear part of the conversation. He was making, what time are we meeting at the duck blind tomorrow morning? Right. I mean, that's who Bud was. But don't, I mean, people... Never, I should never mistake that for his lack of competitiveness. Correct. I don't care if he was playing handball, racquetball. He wanted to beat your ass. I mean, <laughs> he wanted to win and win badly. So people misinterpret like, well, family first and da da da. BS. I mean, yes, yes, but. Yes, but if family he, was playing checker night, he was going to win. He was going to win, and he <laughs> wanted to win at every single thing he ever did. He didn't get to the position he was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, by by not caring, I mean, if you, but using that term exactly. loosely, yeah. And, and he lived that. He lived in a modest house. <laughs> uh, he didn't. He didn't go sign on with the New York Giants to make extra money. Right. He mm-hmm. he could have made more money. He could have marketed himself. He could have uh, lived a different life completely. Uh, and that that you know, that's what I liked about Bud is that he was the guy he was portrayed to be. Well, because he grew up in the Depression, he valued the dollar and to a fault. I mean, (laughs) I mean, people would laugh about it, but you know, still having, uh, his office at winter park and being able to pump his own gas there and, and, uh, you know, getting his own, had had to have his own minnows instead of buying minnows at a bait shop. And I mean, all the stuff that he would take advantage of, or when he would do a commercial, um, you got, you got to pay me in cash. Yep. I, I don't want to check because I have to claim that on tax. Right, he knew right. all the angles. He yep. knew it. And he worked them. And the garage sale, the rest of it. But that's that was Bud. I mean, people who grew up in that era, um, that's that's the way they lived their life. And so he was consistent with it. And that's why he lived in the same house as he did when he moved in here in 1967. And still, you know, to this day, I think they're finally selling it, obviously, since Bud's passing. I remember talking to one of his sons, and he said, yep, we almost lost him. And I went, what do you mean almost lost him? He said, and this is talking about Bud as a young man. He said, yeah, Bud, at one point in his life, just decided he was going to go off and live off the land. Just go build a cabin in the woods, yeah. live off the land. We'd never see him again. You and wouldn't. So, and, 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 and he was kind of close to doing that. And they were like, no, Bud, why don't you try this profession right. first over here? Try see how it goes. <laughs> the woods will always be there. Right. And, of course, he becomes a Hall of Fame coach. Of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know... You spoke to it, Rosie. 
um, it, it's kind of a toxic term to use now if companies say we're a family, right? You know, like they would say run now if your if your job uses that word. But he instilled that in the players. And I know it was a different era and guys stayed with the team, but their loyalty, their love, I, just how they speak of Bud, um, that he commanded respect, but he never raised his voice and yelled at them. He treated them like men. But the bonds that all of those men have to this day, yes, the sport of football, but also Bud Grant. And I think that that is a, kind of a different family yeah. he built altogether. And I don't care if you're black or white or if yeah. you came from poverty or if you came from yeah. well-to-do, whether you're an Ed Marinero or you're on the other side of the, of the coin. I mean, I saw that with the reunion they had and hearing the players talk at length about Bud and what he meant to all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Wright, the common sense that, that, they in, that he instilled in all of them. And, and uh, as you say, the, the loyalty. I mean, it's something that's just unique. And um, it's just it's a pleasure to be around that group because they realize how precious these years are because it's not going to be like this for much longer. And I had players come up to me, their sons, of, you know, like Brent McClanahan's son. He goes, well, I don't think my dad will be back here because – you know, he's got, he's got some real serious health issues right now. This is probably the last time he'll be here. But even Alan Page, who had major differences yes. with Bud uh, over his weight. Um, and and uh, I, I mean, I remember telling, I drove to Alan Page's house. I found out, this is long before we had these cell phones and everything, that Alan was being traded. I literally knocked on his door and Diane answered the, the door. And I said, is Alan here? He goes, yeah, why, what's going on? I went, well, he's been traded to the Bears. I wanted to get his reaction. She goes, what? Wow. They hadn't known yet. Wow. Because they hadn't. Right. Jim Finks or whomever was, they hadn't picked up the phone. Right. Jim Finks wasn't on Twitter. No, he wasn't yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. It wasn't or, on Twitter. Or, yeah. or uh, you know, Adam Schefter yeah, wasn't around. just text him. Right. Yeah. So I, I, and Diane remembered that story for the longest time. And, you know, oh. but that's just, but Alan was front and center. Uh, we had that reunion a few weeks ago yeah. at, at TCO, for instance. And he came, he came. He honored him, even though they had big differences. Alan wanted to be there to honor Bud, which is saying something. That is awesome. Yeah. That's great stuff. You know what? Uh, I think we're gonna, we're just going to well, edit I have, Oh, go ahead, Don. I, I just have one thing, because for right now, I'm having a surreal moment. Because I met you years ago, right, when I was covering the Packers. And yeah, I think I actually reason, met you in Boston <laughs> on a twins trip. It a might have been a twins ago. trip. Like, so in I met Fenway. you years so before. This, been, this would have been mid-90s, probably. Yeah, and then... Exactly. Yep. And then touch base again. You were covering a Green Bay Packers story, and I was covering the Packers living in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I'm here. And with Mark, so I was working behind the scenes at CBS Sports in New York, and I was a stage manager for their baseball, and I w came to Minnesota. You know, and it was Jim Cott, who's like my second dad. Right. And... um I believe Mitch Robinson was the Ted Robinson. Ted Robinson, right? Yep. Ted Robinson, because then later, because I had two years with Ted, and then Greg Gumble. So Ted Robinson was there, and they said, "All right, so you're, I just flew in because I still lived in Boston, so I just flew to wherever the games were." So we flew in, and of course, you know, Kitty was from here, right. Ted was from here. They knew everyone. And we said, yeah, well, we're going to have our meeting and then we're going to go to Rosen's restaurant for dinner. <laughs> and then after Rosen's restaurant, like uh, Rosie won't be there. I'm like, who's Rosie? Who's <laughs> Rosen's restaurant? Like, well, I, I don't know Minnesota. And they go, well, after we're going to go visit him at uh, CCO. Oh, my we're God. Get a tour. I don't remember this. And so 
I was like, okay, you know, and I'm like, what, right out of college. Right. I'm the only female on the crew, right? And Kitty was like, my dad took, like, he protected me, you know, he was right. like, um, but all even the young BAs that they called them on the staff, you know, so we had fun. We would just go to these different cities. And so we get there. The food is fantastic, by the way, at Rose's. Well, Mark, so, yes, it, it, was it was very good. I, uh, it Mark was, did a lot yes. of work in that. In the I back sure did. I was slaving back there burgers. in that kitchen. Yep. But going to see, so of course you weren't at the restaurant, you were working. So we go to CCO and we're, I'm getting the tour. Now, the only other TV station I had known were the two that I interned at and worked at um, in Boston, WBZ, and then uh, TV 38, that kind of thing. And I'm walking around and I just remember he's super tall, <laughs> right? Booming voice. And you were the friendliest, most gracious person. Oh. And the funny thing is, I think I told you this story when I first um, got here and you're like, you know, I don't really remember, but I do remember there was a young girl that I was thinking, ah, oh, she's holding her own with these guys, yeah. you know, cause I'm just, I was like the kid sister on the, on the crew, but I always remembered Mark Rosen from that day. And then when I got here and you know, we just made, and I didn't dare tell you that story. Like, no. do you remember meeting me? Well, I wish you would have. But I think uh, I waited but, a year or two and told you, and you're like, yeah, I kind of remember there. Yeah. You, yeah. I remember there was a girl there holding her own. Um, I was like, and I just want to say this to both of you. The fact that I always, I don't forget things. I, and I have, I do have a partial photographic memory. So I'll remember like the time and right. whatever, um, help me in school. Thank goodness. Um, I just want to thank you because for, for myself, a young woman coming up in the business to meet men that are at the top of their game and I'm behind the scenes. I haven't even gone on air yet. I didn't even know if I wanted to be on air, um, to meet such great people that they show that you could be at the top of your game and kind and nice and gracious and funny in yourself. Because, you know, when you're kind of cl cl climbing the ladder, you meet a lot of different people that think they should act a certain way. Right. They're mean right. and they're this. And then you're like, well, I'm looking at Jim Cobb. I'm looking at Mark Rosen and Jim Suhan and Greg Gumbel. And these gentlemen are gentlemen. They're talking to me. I'm like, you know, on the, the smallest of the crew level. And, you're, you know, that kind of thing. So I just wanted to thank you. Well, you're welcome. And here and, we and, are, and, sitting here years later. I know. Later. And you could have picked a better role model than Jim Cott. I mean, oh, talk yeah. about, a, again, as a kid growing up in Minnesota, Jim Cott was, you know, arguably one of my, my favorite pitcher. Broke my heart in 1967 when he got hurt. And uh, could not finish up that, that, that two-game series in Boston where the Twins needed to win one game. They didn't have the visual playoffs, Jim, as you go. And, and, and Don, they just, they had to win the game. Mm -hmm. And I, I cried like a baby when they, when they couldn't finish off that series because they would have gone to the World Series two years after they were in the World Series. I thought right. this is going to be a great chance for them to win it. Uh, and Cott got hurt. And I was like, oh, my God, on the mound. He hurt his arm or something, I remember. But, but I mean, again, and then being able to work with Jim mm -hmm. many years later, is like pinch me moment. I mean, Jim Cott, are you kidding me? Well, and I oh, was in wow. Boston when I first met him. I was in Boston, and I was a stage managing for the home crew, you know, with Sean McDonough. Sure. And I forget who else was with them at the time. And um, later it was Jerry Remy who was with them. But so it would be Sean. And so Green Line was the company that farmed us out, right? And they're like, hey, we need someone to work with the Minnesota crew. And no one wanted to. They wanted to stay with their hometown, you know, guys. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm like, because I'm thinking I'll just meet more people. So, you know, I remember doing that and working behind the scenes. So, and so it was the local crew and he would, Jim said, hey, 
and I was in, still in college. He's like, I was on a radio show and I got a gift certificate. I'm not going <laughs> to use it. And it was like this place, Chow Bell on Newbury Street, right? It's yep. like a, a hundred or two hundred dollar gift certificate, you know, back then, right? And you're, I'm like, this could feed me and two my weeks. roommates for two weeks. <laughs> we can get all the leftovers, right? And so I wrote a thank you note and I found the address and I mailed the thank you note. But after that, every single time I found out later that um, they requested me to work those games, you know, and then there's such a small crew, you could do more, right? And so then when Jim went to CBS, he goes, hey, it's kind of like Bud Grant in a way, you know, like it's kind of calm. Hey, so someone from CBS might call you. I put your name in to like be uh, traveling with the crew, but it may not mean much. But so if someone calls you, that's what it's about. And of course, when they call me, I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm thinking I'm getting an interview. They're like, so we'll see you Saturday yeah. <laughs> at Yankee Stadium. I'm like, what? They're like if Jim Cott wants you, you're in. And well, so that's how you get your foot in the door. Worked. That's how yeah. you do it. And, and he Jim Cott's the yeah. best. And I'm so happy oh. he made it in the Hall of Fame. He's yeah, yeah, not no only is a Hall of Fame pitcher, but you combine what he did on the mound with his ambassadorship yes. and his broadcasting. He just, he has to be in the Hall. Yeah, 100%. And little known fact, he had amazing socks. Yeah, he loves his socks. He had a you know good what? He sock was sock game. He was way ahead of the sock game. He was long before other people started wearing wild before socks. Nino Niederreiter. Yes, yes, before uh, Jim, Nino <laughs> socks. Jim Cott, Jim was Cott way had ahead. the socks. He was like, "Hey, Donnie, how's my moss?" And I, and I had to check his hair. He called it his moss, and he's like, "And how about my socks?" And I'm like, "That's awesome." Yeah. See, so. Jim Cott talks the way Roy Smalley should talk, because Roy Smalley, we've never seen him. Brandon and I have never seen him with a, with a hair out of his. Oh, no, perfect. Yeah. Dressed perfectly <laughs> yeah. and without perfect socks. There right. you go. Right. Oh, perfect socks. Yeah. So there's a great legacy there. Jim Cott and Roy Smalley on Talk Funny. Morning. Here. Jim Cott also saved this face. He saved my career, actually, if you think about Baseball it. Baseball coming at you? Uh, the, oh, yes, in Detroit before they he had the new one. He could always field his position. He yeah, was, he sure he like, could. We won those gold gloves. Yeah. yeah, and one day I'm like, why are you wearing your glove? He goes, oh, we're in Detroit. This is the old stadium. We're right behind the batter's box. Yep. We're low. I go, what does that mean? He goes, foul balls come in all the time. And I'm like, okay. And so I, he was here, and so I, for, you can't see it, so I sat to his right. And so, of course, he had the glove. He's a lefty. He had the glove in his right hand. Thank goodness, because literally flashing leather means so much to me right now, because all I remember is, whoosh, whoosh, and I go, what just happened? Just happened. And then he had the baseball in his glove. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah. So Okay, you just stuff. reminded me of a story. I'm in the Tampa Bay press box covering a Twins Rays series, like 95 or something like that, right? And I'm same thing, fairly low press box behind home plate. It's late. I'm on deadline, so my head is down. I'm not even paying attention to the game, just trying to get my stuff done. And I hear a whistling sound. And I look up, and a ball smashes into the back of my laptop, hits it so hard that it smashes it down on my keyboard, smashes the screen, and the ball goes bounding off someplace. Puckett had hit a screaming foul ball, had crushed my laptop. I had to write my story on deadline not knowing whether my, I'm typing actual, actual words or not. I just had to hope that they were right. Sent it in. They said, yeah, it's close enough. So I see Puckett after the game. I tell him, hey, Puck, you, you smashed my – he goes – well, Sue, do I got to buy a new laptop? I said, no, it's okay. The Star, the star Community will take care of it, but I just wanted you to know. <laughs> That's funny. That's amazing. All right, we're going to wrap up the show. Hey, right. thank, thank you so much, Mark. My Thanks pleasure. For I enjoy it. Well, good luck with you guys. And, uh, I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking with both of you. You know that. And I'll gonna, see you on Sunday. Uh, you're right. You will. <laughs> and we're going to have to get Jim Cott on now that we've been talking, telling exactly. Jim Cott stories. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Just a final thought on anything in the world you want to mention. It can be sports, personal, uh, business, whatever. Um, well, um, 
the personal part of it, uh, since you just mentioned Puck, uh, is that it just hit me really hard because I don't want to bring it, bring it, bring the room down. No, it's but, okay. It's uh, a real but show. his ex-wife Tanya Puckett, and she got remarried to a pastor. Uh, just passed away, uh, uh, um, and she passed away from brain cancer. Oh no! So, I didn't know. Yeah, I thought maybe you'd heard. Yeah, I, she, I, I missed that somehow. Well, it wasn't. It just broke just a short time ago. Okay. I got a tip on it last night, it. and I didn't know. And then I heard that it was what my late wife passed away from glioblastoma. Uh, uh, and so she only 22 months, which was not much, but uh, it hit me hard because, you know, Tanya was, you know, I, I was, I worked with Kirby and Tanya when they were still together and worked on the children's heart link thing and, and worked with their event quite a bit. And I kind of inherited it after Kirby decided to move on a different, different Avenue. But uh, Tanya was always very special. And I heard for those kids, for Catherine and Kirby Jr., because they're not kids anymore, obviously. They're young men and women. But having gone through that and being a caregiver for as long as I was, uh, Denise, sometimes she got diagnosed when she passed, was three years. So yeah. 22 months is not a long time. It's the most aggressive form. And we all are touched. I know, Don. We've all, in one way or another, get touched by cancer. But this one uh, hit me hard. And I, uh, I, I feel bad for the family and... Uh, but you know, it also kind of harkens back to appreciating, you know, as we all have, you mentioned uh, the relationships that you end up having in this business, uh, both, um, in our business, but outside of it, whether it's a Jim Cott, whether it's a Bud Grant, whomever it is, we're very fortunate. And Kirby, of course, I, I get goosebumps thinking about him. I mean, I think about that man a lot more than I ever imagined. And the magnetism that he had and the way he played the game, and I don't care with all the warts he had personally, he was Kirby. And uh, to, to kind of be in a, the association with his ex-wife passing the way she did really hit home. So I'm sorry to hear about that, but I hope the family's doing well. And uh, um, my thoughts and prayers with the, with the uh, Puckett kids. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I did a piece on um... – Kirby's Kirby and his legacy, you know, a while back. And I yeah. talked to the kids and, yeah. and they were, it was great to hear them sound so good. They were right. They're energetic and smart, you know, accomplished people. It was really cool to talk to them. And it's just, yeah, but tragedy does not escape us. No, it just doesn't. It does uh, not. And it, it, uh, it doesn't matter what your gender is, your age, health history, nothing. I found out a lot about this. So I know I just saying those last uh, two years, you know, 22 months, it goes, it goes in a hurry. Very trying for the, for young people like that to have to take care of your mom that way. So uh, I wish them the best. Yes. Uh, thanks for my pleasure. Mark. Thanks. Uh, good Thank seeing you, you guys as and, always. And, th and, yeah. th and also thanks for all the things you do, all your charitable stuff, the way yeah. you just kind of, well, the way you treat people in the business. We really do appreciate it. And congratulations well. on your wedding. Well, yes. thank you. Yes. Congratulations. There's the ring. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I hit the jackpot, no doubt about it. Yeah, I really did. So I'm very happy and uh, kind of moving to a different phase of my life right now and kind of cut back a little bit in the radio work. But, you know, you want to keep doing it. I love what I still do. I love doing the show with you, Don, and and, uh, and the guys. Um, Pre-game show, it's just a blast. I really do enjoy it. Hopefully we'll get a win. Um, but more importantly, just the relationships. I mean, that's what makes – that's why I keep wanting to do it. When they ask me, I go, yeah, I, I love working with everybody that's – on that crew, and it's just, uh, I don't, doesn't feel like work. Don't tell them that, but it doesn't. Well, um, you made it a family too, and your wife, Karen, who was a friend of mine beforehand. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, you want your girlfriends to marry good men, you know, and you're always like eyeballing them, like, is he good enough? And then when I found out, you know, you too, I'm like, 
this is Shangri-La. Yeah. This is perfect. So she's great. So many things come full circle. They really do. And, um, and you got to keep moving forward. I don't care whatever advice I give people, whatever uh, life throws at you. Um, got to keep moving. Yep. You be just grateful do. and move forward yep. in love. Right. And um, and I love this format. Thank you, Jim, because we have time to talk about these things. Yep. That we can't fit in 30 seconds. No. I'm not wrapping it. Wrap it. Wrap it. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you both.